Good morning once again. We're glad that all of you are here, especially if it's your first time. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And uh, hey, this is our final week in our Faith with Doubt series. And throughout this series, we have looked at several root causes of doubt in our faith. And certainly, we hope that God, you have felt God speaking to you about the doubts and the questions that you might be having in your own life. And the important thing for us as believers is to make sure we answer those doubts in the best way possible. Not to run from them, but to search for answers where we know they are present. And, and there are doubts of the mind, and, and we can deal with these by, uh, by a search for evidence and, and a deeper study of God's Word. There are doubts of the will, and, and the best way to deal with those is to come to a clear and decisive commitment to the Lord and to our faith. There are doubts that come from the heart, and these doubts, are, they're tough to deal with, but they're not impossible. As we empty out our heart to Jesus in confession and prayer, He will help us in our struggles. Last week, we saw that there are doubts that come from fear, and fear, this kind of, this kind of doubt that comes from fear, it can paralyze our faith. Fear is not merely an emotion, it is a power, and it can paralyze you. But as we practice the discipline of worship, we put our gaze on Jesus and find rescue in his hands. But this subject is not just about us, especially if you are stable in your faith. There is a temptation to, to blow off apologetics or to roll your eyes when we talk about this because you're like, I don't need this. I, I'm good in my faith. I don't have any doubts right now. I'm strong in my faith. I, I'm in the Word every day and I'm praying every day. I have the strongest relationship I've ever had with Jesus. But that doesn't excuse us just to, to tune it out or to blow it off. Because even if you're not struggling with the doubts or questions in your own faith, what about the friend or the co-worker or the family member that is struggling with these things? And these messages can be a great resource and help you walk through some of the things with, with, that somebody might really be struggling with right now. And if you aren't dealing with doubt, that's great. But you can be the bridge to Jesus for somebody who is struggling and that means that apologetics is a big deal for all of us. And I hope you know how important all of you are to the church, not just Gateway, but to the, the overall church, as in the Bride of Christ. You are rubbing shoulders with people daily who need the hope of Jesus in their life. They need the love of Jesus in their life. They need to know who Jesus is. And they need the love of a friend who can come alongside them. And you know what? In some, in some cases, you might be the only person capable of sharing that with them. God has specifically put you in these people's lives, or maybe you, he has put you in their lives. And that means that you are better set up than anybody else to share with them the love and the hope that Jesus provides. More than me, more than Dave Stoffer, heck, more than the great Billy Graham, you are a better evangelist to that specific person that God has put in your life. And so apologetics isn't just about defending your faith. It's not just about equipping you for questions you might not have had the answer to. Sometimes it's about getting educated about what others are going through so you can meet them where they are and share how Jesus has impacted your life in that situation. If we allow the Holy Spirit to, to guide our conversations and our relationships, we allow ourselves to be a part of some potentially incredible life transformations. And even in situations where a transformation or a conversion seems impossible, see, we know that with God, all things are possible. 
And a close friend recently shared with me something that God had revealed to him through Bible study and prayer, and he told me that impossible evaporates with the love of Jesus. Impossible evaporates with the love of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Nobody is ever too far from God. Nothing is ever too big for God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church will not only survive this time, in this world, in this culture, but it can thrive. And I hope you believe that. Today I want to wrap up this series by encouraging all of you, all of us, to have a courageous faith. And for that, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn over there. Matthew 28 takes place after the resurrection, pretty much directly after that. And that means the disciples are kind of on level ground with this. You might read the Bible and sometimes feel a disconnect between the people you're reading about and your own life. See, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they had, you know, God spoke to them through prophets and plant life. And then in the early part of the Gospels, well, the disciples, they got to hang out with Jesus, you know, like, the God, like God in flesh. They got to hang out with Jesus all the time. But Matthew 28 is different. See, this is post-resurrection, and that's where we live today, after the resurrection. And so Matthew 28, verse 5, it's post-resurrection, but see, the disciples, they don't know that yet. And neither, neither do the women that come to the tomb to take care of Jesus' body that day. They come and they find it empty. And as they're leaving, the angel appears to them and says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then the angel says, Now I have told you. The angel says, do not be afraid, but that's certainly easier said than done. I mean, it's been a little bit of an emotional weekend for, uh, for the followers of Jesus. But that didn't keep these women from doing what the angel had told them to do. Down in verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Now, remember this afraid yet filled with joy, because we'll come back to that. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his, his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And now I want you to pay attention to the next few verses because they are important for this topic of having a courageous faith. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the, elders a large, or the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So the immediate explanation for the empty tomb is not that Jesus was resurrected, it's that the disciples came and, and stole his body so it would look like. They just made, were making it look like he had come back from the dead. And that was the first rumor that spread, and some still believe it today. Now the disciples, they head to Galilee because the women, well, they, they arrived and they delivered the message. And that's where they're going to go see Jesus. There's a, there's a flicker of hope here. You know, they, they were so into the ministry and the life of Jesus. And they believed he was who he said he was but it's kind of hard when you see him up on the cross. 
And when you see him die, I don't, I don't know, maybe he's not who he said he was. I mean, he said a lot of things, and, and he said he, was, he had all the authority and all the power, but now he's dead. But now, but now in the darkest time, there's a flicker of hope. Because, man, we might see Jesus now. And Matthew says in verse 16 that Jesus even told them where to meet him. There was a specific mountain. Hey, come meet me here. And in verse 17, Matthew says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some still doubted. Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, Jesus told them, hey, I will meet you in this specific place at this specific time. And when they went to that place at that specific time, he was there, right in front of them. They could see him. They saw him standing right there, right in front of them, yet some still doubted. But in their defense, I think there are a few possible explanations for their doubt. One reason is they, maybe they thought it was too good to be true. Hey, this can't really be Jesus. Hey, I know he, I mean, and, but did you see what he went through? If you look again at verse 8, when the women left the tomb, they were afraid yet filled with joy. And they were similar to the men that we read about in, in, or we read about in Luke chapter 24. Now in Luke 24, it's resurrection Sunday afternoon, and Jesus had just walked on the road to Emmaus with two very discouraged and defeated believers. They didn't know it was him. And so these two men, they, they talk with this stranger while they walk along the road, and it wasn't until later they sat down to dinner that Jesus finally revealed who he was to them. Well, immediately they rushed back to Jerusalem to, to where the disciples were gathered to tell them that they had seen Jesus. And guess who shows up? Jesus! These guys had to be like, what, you take an Uber to get here or what? Like, how'd you get here so quick? But it scares the daylights out of them. They think it's a ghost, but he says, I'm not a ghost. It's really me, guys. It's, it's Jesus. And then they look at, and then look at verse 41. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, they still didn't believe it, even though he was standing right there in front of them. They, it was like they couldn't allow themselves to believe it. It was like it was too good to be true. Imagine a young woman who was engaged to be married only to have the young man break her heart at the last minute. He leaves her at the altar. And she's hurting, and now she's emotionally crushed. And so she puts a wall up around her heart. All of us have defense mechanisms. All of us don't want to get hurt more than once. And so then even a few years later, when another young man, a really good young man, comes into her life, well, she's still guarded and unsure. I don't want to get hurt again. She's been hurt before. She don't want to be there again. And so even if this new good young man says, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, will you marry me? Well, she's cautious. She's hesitant. She's not going to jump right into it. Her defense mechanisms are all on red alert because it just seems too good to be true. And this is where I think many of the early disciples were. And maybe where some of you are here this morning. Because even today, Jesus can seem too good to be true. Maybe you've been let down in your expectations. Maybe Jesus didn't come through in the way that you were hoping that he would. And, and so some hear the gospel and think, no, that can't be true for me. I, I've done too much. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up too many times. Or they say, he can't heal me. I'm too sick. I, I, I'm, I'm beyond saving. See, people think Jesus is too good to be true. And they start to believe that he's not all-powerful, that he can't 
handle anything. And see, see, Satan is opportunistic, and he uses our disappointments as a chance to whisper in our ear that, yeah, you know what? Jesus is too good to be true. You are too far gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep up with that. Here's the thing. In those moments, that thinking is right. Yeah, Jesus isn't as good as you thought he was because he's better. Jesus isn't too good to be true. He's sometimes too good for us to understand. Another reason why some might have doubted in Matthew 28 is that, that, that maybe they're in the back of this crowd that's here to see Jesus and they couldn't get close enough to verify if it was really him. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that after Jesus appeared to the disciples, he appeared to a crowd of 500 believers at once. And the way the timeline kind of works out, there really wasn't another time for Jesus to have appeared to the disciples and this crowd of 500. It had to be right then. And so... With that many people up there on the mountain, maybe there were some of the, the people, the believers, the disciples in the back of the crowd, and they couldn't get a good look at him. And, and so, well, they just weren't sure if it was really him. They, they hear people saying it's Jesus, and you know, it kind of looks like maybe it's him, but I can't get a good look. I can't see if it's really him or not. We aren't, I can't be sure from way back here. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Polar Express, uh, classic Christmas movie, book, more book than movie, but you know. And so... In this movie, obviously the Polar Express, the journey is kind of the main story to the North Pole. But once they get to the North Pole, it's Christmas Eve, and they're set, getting everything set up for Santa's big you know, trek around the world. And so the, here they are, and, and the sleigh is ready, and the reindeer are ready, and now it's time. Santa Claus is coming to town, plays, and out comes Santa, right? But this little boy, he's so disappointed. He's distraught because I can't see him. There's too many people in the way. I'm too far away. I can't see if it's really him or not. I can't, I, I can't tell if he's real. I can't tell if it's him. And, and so he's got all this blocking him, and he can't see if it's him. In fact, it isn't until a few moments later when he's actually called up that he can actually verify that Santa is real, that it, it really is Santa. It's the same kind of vibe that I get with the disciples in the back today. Are they too far away? Or are they able to see if this is really Jesus? I mean, I, I've heard rumors. People are saying it's him, but man, did you see what happened to him? How, I, can't see if, I, can't know, I can't know if it's him or not. They can't experience him because they're too far back in the crowd. And so now here's something for all of us this morning. If you're always sitting in the back of the crowd or in the back of the room, you may never be able to fully experience Jesus either. Now, this can be literal and it can be figurative. Now, this room is a pretty good size for worship because even if you sit in the back, the room is small enough that you're still a part of what is going on. So if you're sitting in the back today, this is not a guilt trip. But, but next week, there's room right up now. Uh, but as you start getting into a bigger room and a bigger event, right, the farther you are away from the front, the more disengaged you are, the more you aren't a part of what's happening. And if we're being honest, sometimes we choose to sit in the back so we can easily disengage. So we can easily slip out and nobody will notice. Or we can be on Facebook and nobody will know. And we can be disengaged and not paying attention and nobody will be the wiser. See, being disengaged allows us to be physically present but spiritually absent. 
This week we were down in Nashville. Several, most of the ministry staff went down to Nashville for a, a ministry conference down there. And each of the main sessions, they started with two or three songs, and it was loud. And there were, I mean, there were a lot of people there, and it was, it was incredible. I mean, the last 18 months or so has shown that you've got to be thankful for these types of things. There were over a thousand Christian leaders there worshiping together, something that has been sorely missed over the last couple of years. But even in that moment, in the magnitude of that moment, with the size of that room and that many people, that loud of music, you can, choose to, you can still choose to stand and be disengaged. You can be against the wall in the back, on your phone, don't bother me, I'm checking email, but I'm not really, right? Because if you were really there to worship, you're going to make sure that you're closer to the action, that you're closer to the stage, and that you're in amongst the crowd. See, we choose to be in the back sometimes. And it's not just singing that we're talking about. It's not just a worship set that we're talking about. It's in all areas of our faith. If you choose to sit in the back of the volunteer line, well, you're not going to get the blessing from serving. If you sit in the back of your small group, you're going to feel disconnected and left out. If you sit in the back of the sermon, don't expect God to speak to you because you're not allowing him to speak to you. And if you sit in the back with your faith, you're going to have more questions than doubts. One final reason why some have doubted in the crowd that day is because of unmet expectations. The Gospel of Matthew, whether you, I don't know if you know this or not, it's primarily directed to the Jewish nation, to the, the former Israelites, and it's all about the reality of the present kingdom of God. But see, the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah to come as a physical king, to come in and put him back on top, just the way that David was or, or Solomon was. Great, huge temple, immaculate. They expected him to this Jesus, this Messiah, to come as a physical king and push the Romans inside and reestablish David's kingdom on this earth. So imagine their disappointment, how crushed they were when they saw Jesus crucified, how their hopes and dreams were shattered because they didn't grasp the idea of a crucifixion and a bodily resurrection marking the presence of a spiritual kingdom of God. And so here's the truth this morning. If we live with expectations of Jesus that aren't biblical and therefore remain unmet, we can be left with doubts too. If we expect Jesus to do things that only cater to our life and we make, things that are, we make requests that aren't in the will of God or we, we feel disappointment because that was never what God wanted to do, if we aren't put back on top like we hope God would do because it's not biblical, well then yeah, we're going to have unmet expectations just the way the disciples did that day. And so, what are we to make of these doubters? Here he is, and they still doubt. Well, what did they do next? Well, to find the answer for that, you don't have to look very far. You can just turn over to the book of Acts, and when you read the book of Acts, you're going to see that they had a courageous faith, and they turned the world upside down for Jesus. And so what about our doubts? What if you came here every week, you, you were here for this whole series, and you still walk out of here today with doubts? What about the doubts that linger even after all the evidence is studied and after the commitments have been made and after we've cried our hearts out to Jesus and, we, and we've learned to keep our gaze on him? What should we do then if we still have doubt? I think we should do the same as the first disciples did, and that's to have a courageous faith. 
And what does a courageous faith look like? Well, down in Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So three, three characteristics of a courageous faith, of a courageous faith that I hope we will have based on Matthew 28. First is a courageous faith accepts the authority of Jesus. Jesus says there in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He doesn't say some authority has been given to me. He doesn't say half the authority has been given to me. He says all authority. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has all authority. And who gave it to him? We'll read in Daniel 7, 14 that God the Father, the Ancient of Days, gave the Son all authority. And if Jesus has all the authority, that means that we have no authority. He is our Lord, and we are his subjects. And this means that even in our deepest pains, in our darkest moments, our darkest doubts, we can trust what Jesus says, and we can trust what he does. To a courageous faith obeys the commands of Jesus. These verses, they make up what we call the Great Commission. And when you look at that, you might think that the main verb is go, but the main verb is not go, it's make, as in make disciples. And so we could almost translate the last two verses of Matthew like this. As you go, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, make disciples is a present active imperative. And for those of you that aren't English majors, that means it's an ongoing command. Jesus says to make disciples of all nations. And we do this by going and by baptizing and by teaching. He didn't say, hey guys, circle up, all right? Let's get in the huddle. He didn't say to gather around. He said to make disciples. And so these activities, they require us to to be busy and active and courageous in our faith. We don't have time to waste, There is no time to sit on the bench. There's no time to wander along your own path. There's no time to take a break from church for a while because there are people out there that need you. There are people out there that need to hear who Jesus is. There are people out there that need to know the hope that Jesus provides. And in these days of physical suffering and emotional pain and spiritual confusion, people, they want answers. And the answers to most of their questions are Jesus. They just don't know it yet. And they need people to have a courageous faith to bring that truth to them. Finally, a courageous faith walks to the end with Jesus. Look at this incredible promise there at the end. Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that truth should make us decide to never quit, to never throw in the towel on our faith or on our calling because he's going to be with us all the way to the finish line, all the way to the end of our journey. And yeah, it might seem like we're we're in the end times, that the end of our days is coming, that Jesus is coming back soon. But whether or not you believe that, the promise is that Jesus is with us to the end whenever that is. And so there's no need to be afraid of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back or afraid of the amount of time we have left. What there's to be afraid of is that people that need to hear about Jesus aren't going to hear about him. All of us will see our journey come to an end one day. 
And the question is, will you be walking with Jesus when it does? Because if you are right now, I hope you won't quit on him now. You might be experiencing doubt today, or if not today, you might be, you might tomorrow. You might be in a storm right now. It might be really hard right now, but I want you to remember that no matter what your doubts are, no matter what's going on in your life, or, or where your doubts are coming from, Jesus still has all the authority. That, 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 those words are as true back then as they are today. Jesus has all the authority, and he has a purpose for your life, and for your life, and he has staked claim for you for the rest of your life. Some of you may know uh, Becca Hall. She uh, came to Gateway. She's off college now, but her family, the Hall family, has been a part of Gateway for several years now. They were uh, a part of Howl's Mill for several years as well. And her mother, Michelle, is the early childhood director at our St. Albans campus. But Becca had the opportunity to spend the summer in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, as part of the Crew Smoky Mountain Summer Mission Team, and with a focus on sharing the gospel with people around them. And this week, we received a letter from Becca and her team recapping their summer, and it had different stories of, of kind of like testimonies of what they had seen this summer. But I was drawn to the story of one of her teammates, a girl named Danny, about sharing her faith while she was with a stranger while she was at work. So I wanted to share that story with you this morning. And Danny said, a moment that stands out to me when I was working, I'm sorry, a moment that stands out to me was when I was working as a ranger at Anakista. A man named Alex came to stand underneath my umbrella to shade himself from the sun. He stood there for a while before we started talking, but when we did, I found out his wife had died in late March of this year. He confessed he would like to believe in God, but could not because his wife did not get a second chance at life. And he asked me how bad things can happen to good and undeserving people. From that point, I got to share with Alex that since we are in a broken and sinful world, unfair and unjust things will happen. I got to share that since Jesus Christ died and rose for us, we have hope in knowing that we are saved from our sin and brokenness. I shared with him that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to comfort and care so deeply, even in the sorrow. I poured into him that God has seen his hurt and sorrow and is right there with him in the grief that each tear he has shed over the death of his wife has been seen and felt by the God of the universe. He began to cry and just thank me for sharing that with him. I thank God for encounters like the one I had with him because through obeying the Holy Spirit's prompting to talk with him, I've seen the reward so tangibly. You know, that letter, that was just one of the stories from that letter. And one of the things I heard this week is that our young people are sharing their faith more than any generation ever has. And you might think that it might, it, the people aren't receptive to it, that people don't want to hear these things, but there are people that are hurting that the answer is Jesus, they just don't know it yet. We just got to provide it for them. And so as we finish up this morning, I want to read the message paraphrase of Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain that Jesus had set for the reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Friends, there are people around us every day that need us to have a courageous faith. They need us to risk ourselves totally for them. 
They need to hear about the authority of Jesus. They need us to remind them who Jesus is. They need to hear about the hope and the love that Jesus Christ provides. And they need us to keep following the mission to the end. These people that can't afford for us to take a break for a while or to take a few plays off, to sit the bench and get our wind back, these people need the love of Jesus today. They need us to have a courageous faith. And so this morning, I hope that you will leave with a courageous faith, not just for your own faith journey, but for those in your life that God has put before you to help on theirs. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. And that is a a truth that not everybody believes. That's a truth that not everybody knows. And so, Father, I, I pray as we sit here in this room this morning, as parts of the body of this church, of, of the church of Jesus, that because we know that truth, that we would be, have a courageous faith to share that with those that need to hear Father, I pray that you would put people in our lives, that we would rub shoulders with people daily that you have put before us to share the gospel, share the story of Jesus. Just the simple gospel that Jesus came into this world to wash away our sins and to provide us with salvation for eternity, to provide us with a hope that goes beyond all that this world throws at us. Father, I pray that we would never keep this truth to ourselves, that if we truly believe this, that we would be willing to share it with others. We always think it's going to be so awkward, it's going to be embarrassing, and we always pull up short of sharing our faith. Father, I pray that our faith would just be a part of who we are, be a part of our friendships and our relationships, that it would just come out, that people would see that we are living differently because of our relationship with your son Jesus. And because... There's a hope beyond this world. But nothing about this world can ever defeat us because Jesus has overcome the world. So I pray that we would take heart and that we would let that be a part of who we are every day so that it would come shining through, that we would look different and people would wonder, how do you do that? And we can say, all because of Jesus. Father, I pray that we would leave here this morning with a courageous faith. I pray that this would be something we tangibly take out of here and, and we would pray that you would put people in our lives that we could share the gospel with them, that we would have the courage to do it, that when the fork comes in our mind, whether we should or we should not, we would always choose to trust the Holy Spirit and share the gospel with them. Father, I pray that we would see an urgency as we leave here, that there's no time to, to, to circle up, to sort things out, to take some plays off, to take a break for a while that we would see the urgency that there are people that need to hear about Jesus. We need to be courageous and get out there and do it. We need to be making disciples. Father, I pray that we would see that as the purpose and commission for our life and know that you are with us always, all the way to the end. We thank you so much for your immense love for each one of us. We thank you for Jesus and that there's nothing impossible with him. There's nothing too big for him. 
We've, there's nobody that's ever done too much for him, that Jesus has all authority over everything. And that means there is nothing too great for him. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love and your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to make Jesus the king of your life, I hope that you will change that today. All the things that we talk about, all the, all the love and the hope that Jesus provides, that only it's there waiting for each one of us. But you have to accept it. You have to accept that gift. Because the only way to have that hope that extends beyond the doubts and the storms and everything about this life that gets us down, the only way is Jesus. The only way is to say, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior and my King, and I want to be a different person from this day forward. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. And so if you've never made that decision, man, I hope you will today. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what tomorrow promises, but I know that today you can make that decision. So if you've never made Jesus the king of your life, I, I pray that you do that today. I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk about baptizing you in front of all these friends and witnesses and celebrating the fact that you have given your life over to Christ. If you've already made that decision, but you just need some prayer right now because life is really hard and you're dealing with doubt and the storms that everything provides, this life throws at us all the time. I'd love to pray with you. I know some people get embarrassed. They don't want to come up front. They don't want people knowing their business, all these different but I, I, I'd love to pray with you after the service or sometime during the week. You can scan our QR code and send a prayer request that way. We do pray over those every week because we believe how important prayer is. God has given us this gift. And sometimes the answers never come. Sometimes things don't make sense. But the truth I keep coming back to in the Bible is that it says to do it and just be ready for whatever God's going to do, whatever he sees best, whatever he sees fit, because he knows all he is sovereign over. So I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you're, if you're dealing with something, I'd love to involve God in the process of whatever's going on in your life or the life of somebody close to you. So if you have a decision to make or you just need some prayer, I'll be right down front. But I ask all of you to stand and sing our final song together.